I invite you to open the Bible and turn with me to the book of Numbers. And while you're doing that, the ushers are coming forward and they are going to give you the Numbers booklet. Everybody here gets a copy unless we run out. Uh, and we've had a lot of people grabbing them. Hopefully we got one for everybody here. This is for yours. And the invitation is for everybody here to read the book of Numbers this month of February. And some of you are already fired up to do this. You guys have already read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and you are hungry for more. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? A few people, a few people out there are just feasting on the law. Now, let's say you haven't been reading through the law. Uh, I want to encourage you. This is your chance to jump in with us and read through the book of Numbers. I guarantee you, if you read this book, if you really get into it, you will learn things about God that you don't know right now, things about yourself that you don't know right now, and you will experience a revival in your soul by reading the Bible. And so we really are passionate about you reading numbers, and it's amazing. We're going through the law here at our church, and I'm talking to people every day that are just like, I'm seeing things I've never seen before. I'm learning things about God. This is exciting because they're really getting into it like they never have. And so God's doing something here at our church where we're going through. We just went through Leviticus, and now we got people saying it's their favorite book of the Bible around here. Okay? And it's very hard to explain to people that I talk to, my, my brothers and sisters at other churches, even other pastors that I love and am friends with. They're like, hey, what are you preaching on at your church? I'm like, we just did a series on Leviticus. And even other pastors are like, oh, like, like how did that go? Was that really rough? Like that, like, I'm like, you're a pastor. Do your job, you know? Come on, man. That ain't right. This is the word of God right here. Right? To quote our junior high director, Matt Shue, Leviticus is Legiticus. That's what we found out here at the church. Right? We got, I mean, people are like, wow, we should teach everyone the book of Leviticus. It clearly explains the gospel. That's the kind of thing people are saying. And if you're missing out on this excitement, if you're not experiencing this uh, revival, I I'm here to ask you. Please, will you read through the book of Numbers with us? Because people don't know. I mean, it seems to me like most people stopped reading in Leviticus. They don't even have a clue what's going on in Numbers, right? I've been going around this church, and I've been asking people, why are there so many numbers in Numbers? Do you know the meaning behind the numbers? And people are like, is this a real question? Are you asking me this right now, right? Why are there so many numbers in Numbers? And in these, you know, these expressions that I get, they're searching for an answer that they, they can't find. Because uh, uh, there's a census. There was a census. Oh, yeah, a census. That's what they say. And I'm like, yeah, that's what it means when you count everybody. Why are they counting everybody? Like, what is the point behind it? All you got to do is look. Are you there? Numbers chapter 1, verse 1. You just got to open it up and start reading. And you got to be hungry. You want to start digging. Like, what is this about? Why would they call this book Numbers? Why are they counting so many people? Well, it says right here, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness. That's where Numbers takes place. It's in the wilderness. And Yahweh spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male, head by head, from 20 years old and up, were all in Israel who are able to go to, what does it say there? 
Okay, that's why you got the camel booklet right there, okay? Because they're going to war. I mean, count how many times God says that. The whole reason we're counting everybody, the whole reason we're telling everybody how to arrange a camp is because we're getting ready to march into enemy territory. There are the Canaanites who are wicked nations that are going to be judged, and God's going to use his people to drive them out of the land that he has promised to his people. And so now's the time, everybody. We are going to war. Everybody, let's get numbered. All, all the males over age 20, turns out there's over 600,000 uh, males there. And we are going to war. Here's how we want to position the camp. Here's how we're going to move the tabernacle. Who's ready to go? And unfortunately, we're going to find out that while God is preparing his people to go to war, his people have a hard time answering the call to go to battle. And as we're reading through numbers, it's going to, the, the parallel there between God trying to get the nation of Israel to go to war in the promised land and God telling us that we are in a spiritual war a battle where we need to put our armor on so that we can stand in the evil day. Just like God's going to tell his people in numbers to count themselves to get ready to go to war, God's calling us to put our armor on, to be soldiers of Jesus, and enter into a battle for souls, and many people today aren't ready to answer the call to battle. And so we need to go through the book of Numbers, and this little booklet is just going to talk about comparing what we're learning here to the spiritual war that we're going through together as a church right now. And so I really hope you will read this book, and I want to direct your attention to Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 to 27 for our time together this morning. The first six chapters of Numbers are a unit where God's starting to call his people to go to war, and then chapter 7 starts a kind of a flashback to a previous time. And so at the end of this first unit of numbers that we're going to read this week, it, where you, there's a schedule on the back of your handout there. We're going to try to read 10 chapters of numbers together this week. And there's the devotionals there in the booklet. And at the end of this first section of six chapters, God's told his people to go to war, but here's how God works. When he tells you to go, he always wants you to know that he's going to be with you and he's going to bless you. And so what we have here is the blessing of God upon his people. And out of respect for God's word, I'm going to ask if everybody could stand up for our scripture reading together. And I'm going to read number 6, 22 to 27. And this is how God blessed his people and the nation of Israel before they went into the promised land. And this is the same kind of blessing that you and I have in Jesus Christ here today. This is what God wants you to know as he's calling you to go. Here's how he wants to bless you. Number six, verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. That's the reading of God's word. Please go ahead and have your seat. And so we already saw a moment where Aaron was anointed to be the high priest back in Leviticus and how he went into the tabernacle. In fact, we even know on the Day of Atonement, the high priest alone would go behind the veil into the very holy place where there was the presence of God. And all the congregation of Israel 
would gather around the tabernacle, and then the high priest would come out from the presence of God, having just made atonement between God and his people, and he would say in that moment, a blessing to the people of God. Here we have now recorded for us the blessing that Yahweh told Moses to tell Aaron to say to the people. And it's put here in three lines of poetic form so that the people would be able to remember it, would be able to think about it, and that they could, as they were going to war, and this is amazing, as they're going to war, God gives them a blessing that is supposed to remind them they can have his peace. And so this is how God operates. God's going to come to you and he's going to call you to action. He's going to command you to go and you're going to have to go by faith. But at the same time, as you go, God wants you to know he will be with you and bless you. This is what he's doing here in Numbers. And and go back to Genesis chapter 12 and we'll see how he did this same exact thing with Father Abraham. Maybe you can remember all the way back to Genesis 12. We started reading this back in November of last year if you were here. And uh, we, we met Father Abraham, and, and God made a promise to him. There's really hundreds of years between Genesis 12 and Numbers 6. And this is page 8, if you got one of our books. And this is when his name was Abram, before God changed his name. And here's what the Lord said to Abram. This is Genesis 12, verse 1. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is exactly what God is now doing with an entire nation of people. He started with one man. Hey, I know this is your country. This is your culture. I know these people are your kindred. You're familiar with their ways. I know this is your father's house where you are known and loved as a part of this family. Yeah, I'm asking you to leave all of that behind, and I'm asking you to go, and what I'm going to give you is I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to make of you a great nation, and through you, Abram, everyone on planet Earth will be blessed. So you need to go. And it came down to Abram. God's calling him to leave what he knows and to go. And he's promising him a land. He's promising him a nation. He's saying he's going to be blessed and he's going to be a blessing to everyone. Will he believe God? Will he take him at his word? And it says that Abraham went out by faith, not knowing where he was going. See, God's making this same appeal to Abraham. Now he's doing the same thing to the Israelites there to go into that land. They have become the nation that they were promised to Abram, but now the move is to claim the promised land. And God's saying to them, I'm calling you to go to war, but I'm going to bless you. God says the same thing to you. If you're a Christian, If you've believed in Jesus Christ, if you've turned from your sin and trusted in the gospel that Jesus died for you and rose again, God has called you to go. He's called you to deny yourself, take up your cross. You need to follow Jesus. You need to live a life of faith. And here's the mission that you've been given. Okay, This is your purpose in life. This is what you're supposed to be as a Christian living for, that you are on a mission to go and make disciples. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? That's what he told us to do. 
Everybody on this planet, every single living soul needs to know that there is repentance and forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ for all of their sin. And we have been sent to be the witnesses of Jesus. It is our testimony that is supposed to let the world know. God has told you to go. And what did he say? And I will be with you always. And I will bless you. This is how God works. He wants to see that you trust him, and he wants to be with you, to bless you. And so from Abraham to the Israelites to us in Jesus Christ, there is the command to go and then be blessed. Now go back to number six, and let's break this down. Because even in the way it puts it here in our English uh, translation, you can see these three lines here, 24, 25, and 26 of number six. These are three lines of poetry, carefully chosen words that, that they were supposed to be as they're going to battle, as they're marching there in their camp, as they're moving the tabernacle. These are the things that God wanted them to be thinking about, to know his blessing. And So let's just break down these three lines and think about them from our own relationship with God. Verse 24, the first one, the Lord Yahweh. So every time it starts with Yahweh, God's name that they wanted to be known by with his people, Yahweh bless you. And then there's always something that God's going to do for you. God's going to keep you. Okay, so there's going to be from Yahweh a blessing to you and you will be kept by this blessing. So all three lines, they have that. Yahweh does something, and you experience something. And the word for bless here, and the Hebrew word, is something we could actually remember pretty easily because it's the name of our previous president. Barak is the Hebrew word to bless. Okay, It means that the divine favor is upon you. It means that Yahweh wants to be good to you. He thinks well of you. And a specific thing that he's going to do for you here is he's going to keep you. Now, all of these beautiful lines, they would become so important to the Israelites that eventually when they, when they expanded them into psalms, turn with me to Psalm 121, where there's really a whole song now about the keeper. God is the one who is keeping you. What does that mean? Well, Psalm 21 on page 516 it really expands the definition of being kept by God. And this is one of the songs of ascent. We just read, if you were reading through Leviticus with us, one of the things that really surprised a lot of people I talked to this week was how much rest is built into the calendar and there in Leviticus. Every, every Sabbath day, nobody's allowed to work. you got to take a whole day off, and one out of every seven. And three weeks out of the year, everybody stops working so they can have these feasts. And eventually they would go up to Jerusalem, to the temple, to celebrate these three different feasts to remember how God had delivered them out of Egypt and led them through the wilderness to the promised land. They would celebrate. Can you imagine three weeks, everybody's got off throughout the year to remember God and to go and praise him. And so they would all go to Jerusalem. Now, it doesn't matter if you're coming from the north, the south, the east, or the west. Everybody goes up to Jerusalem. It is a city on a hill. Even if you go there with us, when we like to go, and we're going in uh, the summer of 2021, we're going back to Israel, we get on a tour bus, we go all around, it's an amazing time, and when you go to Jerusalem, you're even tilted like this in the bus for a long time, just driving up, and we read through all of these songs of ascent. 
when they were walking up the hill to Jerusalem, they would sing these songs together. And here it is, Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. So they're, and they're looking at Jerusalem, the city on a hill right in front of them. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. There's an encouraging thought right there. The creator of heaven and earth, the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power, that's the same one who helps you. He is your keeper. You would be shocked if the sun did not rise when Google tells you it's going to tomorrow morning. Well, that's the same one who's making the sun rise every day on time. He's the one who's keeping and helping you. Verse 3, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The only reason that you're sitting here right now, the only reason that you're breathing air, that you can see me, that you can hear me, is God has kept you alive up until this very moment. He is the sustainer. He gives life. He gives breath. He gives all the things that you need. The only reason you are alive right now is because God is the keeper. And it says that he watches over you with such a tenacity, with such a passion, that he doesn't even take a break. He doesn't take a nap to rest. He doesn't go to sleep at night. No, 24-7, he is constantly keeping you, watching over you. Now, whenever I read here about the keeper who never slumbers or sleeps, I think about the blessing that God gave to me and my wife, Krista, when he blessed us with children. He's blessed us now with three children, but I remember when our firstborn was born. What a blessing it was uh, from God, the gift of our, of our firstborn son. Anybody else want to say amen that children are a blessing from the Lord? Can we say that here today? What a gift that God gives to us. And do you remember when you could hold your child like this? Do you remember the little fingers and the little toes? I mean, I remember me and Krista at the place we were living, and we had our firstborn there, and what a precious gift that was. And we, were just, we just couldn't get enough of the fact that he was alive, that God had given us this this life, and I remember trying to learn how to hold him the right way, you know, and I would be walking around the house in this like totally uncomfortable position as long as he was okay and he was sleeping, right? I remember the great fear and trembling I had when that pacifier, that binky, whatever you called it at your house, when it would fall out of his mouth in like five different ways, I would try to disinfect that thing, you know? This was my first child, you know what I'm talking about, right? Right? I remember just sitting there, literally standing above the crib, watching him lie there all bundled up. And I remember, you know, the things you read on the internet, right, that suddenly infants die there in their crib because they roll over and they're not breathing. And I just remember thinking to myself, I would watch this guy all night long. I mean, I would just want to keep, I would want to be just keeping watch on him literally all night. Do you remember how tired you used to get as a new parent? You remember that feeling like I can't even keep standing up? I can't watch him all night. And that's when I started learning. God started teaching me something. Like I can't keep my own kid alive. Like I have to slumber. I have to sleep. I have to trust that there's a keeper who's going to watch over my kids. I'm supposed to be the dad. That's what I thought. It's like, hey, I'm the dad. I'm the hero, right? I'm coming in to rescue every difficult situation. When they see me, all fear will disappear because dad is here. You know what I mean? (laughs) 
And so I used to think, man, I'm here to protect my kids. I'm here to, I'm here to keep my kids safe. And I can remember so many times where my kids, maybe they were running towards me. Dad, they're running towards me. We're playing a game. We're laughing. We're having fun. And it's one of those moments when your kids just eat it hard on the ground. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the elbows, the scraped up knees, the boo-boos of life. And I was like, oh, I'm going to protect my kids from those kinds of things. And then I'm actually the one who makes my kid fall over, right? I mean, I can remember slow motion moments where I can tell my kid has tripped over their legs. They're about to fall. And I'm like reaching out like hero dad to save the day. And they just smack their face on the ground. It's brutal. And I'm like, I can't even protect my own kids. If it's up to me, these kids are in big trouble. That's what I was thinking. Like God is the only one who can keep us alive. He's the only one who can catch us when we're falling. He is the keeper who never slumbers. He never sleeps. Do you realize that? That God has been watching over you every single second of your life. And he's keeping you. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. Verse 6, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. We have no idea how much evil God has protected us from. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I mean, how many times, how many days now have you gotten up, left your house, driven out of your garage, and then later on that day you come back some days multiple times, going out, coming in. Here we are, backing out, coming back in. Day after day, God's watching over every single thing that you do. He's your keeper. You might want to write down John chapter 10, verses 28 to 30, talking about him being the keeper of your soul. When God saves you, when he reaches out with his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, and he grabs you out of the fire and he saves your soul, it says that when God is holding on to you, no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says that he and the Father are holding on to you, and no one can snatch you out. You cannot lose your salvation. Every single person that is saved in the name of Jesus. Every single person where God does his work to give them life in their soul. He holds on to that person. He never lets go of them. God has not lost one of his people. Every single one of God's people have all made it to heaven to be with him forever. He is the keeper. Point number one, your keeper has not lost. He has never lost one of his people. Every single one of his saved ones is precious to him, and they have endured all the way to be with him in his presence. And if you're one of his people right now, here's what you can know. God's keeping you. He's keeping you alive physically, and he is keeping your soul until you are there in his presence, united with him in glory. He will be your keeper. The Lord bless you and keep you. Now go back to number six, because that's just, that's just the one line that it wants us thinking about how God is keeping us. That's what the Yahweh wants his people to know that. But then look at verse 25. Look at this idea. It says, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Grace is one of our favorite words here at the church. Grace is the undeserved favor of God. Grace is when God is good to you. 
So mercy is God withholding judgment. Because of our sin before a holy God, we deserve to be punished. But mercy is God saying, no, I'm not going to treat you how you deserve. And grace is when God is giving us good things instead of what we deserve. He's giving us better than what we deserve. And here the idea is, if that God's face, if Yahweh, if His face is shining upon me, see, there's this idea that I'm looking to Him and His face is before me. God and I are getting face to face is the picture here. And I know if God's looking at me, God will be good to me. That's the inclination of His heart. Like if He's looking at me, if He's smiling down upon me, if His face is shining on me, then I know it's going to be good. I'm going to get grace because that's who God is. Again, it goes back to the idea of like a father with his children and how the, how the kids are always like, Dad, look at this. Dad, hey, do you see what I'm doing? Dad, do you see how I just made this basket? Or do you see how I just played this game? Or look at this picture I just drew. And it's Dad, 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 Dad. And they're not going to stop until you look at them, right? They want you because they just know, Dad, if you were looking at me and you saw what I was doing, it would be good, Dad. That's what it's saying here. Like, I know if his face is shining upon me, oh, he wants to be good to me. He wants to be gracious to me. Turn with me to Psalm 80. Look at this Psalm of Asaph. And he takes this, this line here and he makes it the chorus of his psalm. This might be a psalm you're not as familiar with. Psalm 80 is on page 491. And here in this Psalm, Asaph, who's a really wise man of God who writes some great psalms, uh, he's going to make an appeal to God here. Um, and look what he says in Psalm 80. Verse 1, he says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. See, there's that picture like, hey, we're the people of Israel, we're your sheep, and you're our shepherd, and you're the one who cares about us. And we're, we're tempted to go astray, every one of us, to our own way. But you're the one who cares, and you bring us all together, and you keep us safe, and you feed us, and you protect us. You're the shepherd. So he's calling out to him. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. There's the idea. Like, I know, I know where you are. You're in heaven. You're on the throne. The angels are all worshiping you, and I want your face to shine upon us. I, I just know if you're sitting up there on your throne and you're looking down on us, your sheep, your people that you care about, I just know you'll want to do good to us. And so he's bringing that idea, verse 2, before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. And then here's the chorus of this psalm. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. That's the idea. If your face is shining upon us, if you're looking at us, if you're listening to us, if we know that we have your attention, then I know we'll experience salvation. I know you'll be gracious to us. Like goodness will surely follow if your face is shining upon us. And so he says, restore us, O God. Now, this has been one of our uh, favorite words in the Hebrew language here at our church. Uh, it's this Hebrew word, shuv. Shuv is the word. It means to turn. 
Okay, so what, what the picture that Asaph's developing here is if God, if we're like a child looking to our father and his face is shining upon us, well, he'll be good to us. But right now, we've like turned our back on him and we're going our own way. And he's turned his back on us because he's angry with us. And so right now, we're not having that face-to-face connection between us and God. And so the chorus of the psalm is, God, you've got to turn us around. We've gone astray like sheep and you've got to shepherd us back to you so turn us so that we can see your face looking upon us and know your salvation and he says oh lord god of hosts verse four how long will you be angry with your people's prayers you have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure god it feels like you're not looking like you're not listening and you make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. The other people are mocking us. So please restore us. Turn us. Oh, God of hosts, let your face shine. Will you just look at us that we may be saved? Then he gives this, this beautiful picture of Israel as a vine. He says, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations. That's what we're getting ready to do in Numbers. Drive out the nations. Get the promised land. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for this vine, and it took deep root, and it filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea, and its shoots to the river. Man, that was so great what you did to plant your people in this land. Why then, verse 12, have you broken down its walls? So that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit. Even the boar, this, this scavenger, this animal from the forest, it comes and ravages the vine. And all that move in the field feed on it. God, you planted us in all of your glory and now the walls are broken down and our enemies and the animals are coming and they're destroying the vine. Turn again. This is the climax of the whole psalm. Verse 14. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. See, he's been asking for God to turn them around so they would face the Lord. And now, here in the climax, he says, God, you've got to turn back to us. You've got to make your face shine on us. You need to look and see. God, I know who you are. And I hear what everybody else says about you, but I believe, God, that you are good. And if you saw the vine that you planted, that you loved, if you saw how broken down we are, how beaten up we are, I know, God, that if you turned and you looked at us, you would be gracious to us again. Make your face shine upon us. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. And may they perish at the rebuke of your face. Let your hands be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Sounds like a reference he's making there to his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 18, then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Do you believe that here today? I'm asking you, do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that he is a father? who wants to give good gifts to his children. See, see God appeals to, to those who are parents here, to those who are fathers here. And he says, hey, do you like being good to your kids? Do you love your children? Do you want to give them good things? If your son, if he asks you for bread, are you going to give him a snake? Are you going to give him a scorpion? Are you going to give him something evil? Okay, well, if you are a sinner 
who has fallen short of my glory. If you are evil and you want to give your kids good things, how much more do I, as the Father in heaven, want to give good gifts to my children when they ask for them? And when Jesus tells us that in Matthew 7, he promises that if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open to you. And it's so hard. People are so quick to blame God these days for the evil that's going on. They're so quick to turn away from God and look for something else that's going to help them get through it. And it's saying, no, if you turn to God, And you keep asking him, you keep praying to him, you say, God, make your face shine upon me. No, you need to believe that your father is good, and if he were to see you, you just need to say, Dad, 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 until you know he's looking at you, because you know if he was looking at you, he would be gracious to you. Point number two, your father has more grace. I promise you, you have not reached the end of the steadfast love of the Lord. I promise you, God has not run out of grace. He is the God of all grace. And after you suffer for a little while, he will perfect, strengthen, establish, and complete his good work in you. No, we have not even really seen grace yet. Because when the future grace of Jesus Christ is revealed to us, we will realize that the best days are even yet to come. Our Father is good at being good to his kids. And if he could just look at us, his grace would be upon us. Go back to number six, and you'll see a third line here. Three things for the people of Israel to memorize as they're going to war. God's going to keep them. Well, that sounds encouraging. God's face is upon them to be good to them. Well, that sounds good. But then if you're going to war, this is the one you really need right here. Number six, verse 26. The Lord, Yahweh, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Wow, God's going to give us peace while we're going to war. The battle could be raging all around us, and we would still have the peace of God. So the idea here of God lifting up his countenance, it's like he's lifting up his face to look at you or to listen to you. Like he's moving his face towards you. Maybe you're calling out for him. Maybe you're praying to him. And and as you're praying, as you're calling on the name of the Lord, as you're reaching out to him, you see that his face turns to look at you, to listen to you. And that's when you know, when God is hearing your prayer, when God is aware of what's going on in your life, then you get his peace. It's the peace of God that he gives to you. Now, the Hebrew word here for peace is shalom. Maybe you've heard that word before. Okay, if you ever get to go to Israel, shalom is like the one word you basically need to know to get around the streets of Jerusalem. You can use shalom for hello. You can use shalom for goodbye. You can use shalom for where is the bathroom I'm lost. Shalom will work. It's the word, all right? And it's so much more than a greeting. It's so much more than what's up or hey or a head nod. Shalom is, is it's peace. And what shalom is, the idea is that God is a God who dwells in perfect peace. Have you ever thought about what it would be like to be in the throne room of God where the angels are all worshiping him? See, he's not surprised by what's going on. He's not stressed out and worried if it's all going to work out. See, unlike us where we have our pride and we think we've got it and then the crushing reality that we don't have it at all drives this anxiety in our hearts. See, God actually does have it all under control. He sits on a throne of perfect peace. 
and on his people, on his nation, on the land. This is why the Jews are praying for the peace, for the shalom of Jerusalem, because if he's their God and he's a God of peace, then there can be peace among his people, peace on his land, peace in his nation. And so when you go up to somebody and you say shalom, it's not like you're just saying, hey, it's like you're tapping into the fact that our God is a God of peace. We are his people of peace and everything is right and in order because he is our God of shalom. Turn with me to Psalm 4 and look what the most famous of all the psalmists, David, look what he says about when God's listening to him, the peace that he has. When he prays to God and he knows that God hears him, there's this peace that surpasses understanding. He's still surrounded by the same enemies. He still has all the same problems, but he calls out to God. God lifts up his countenance to listen to him, to look to him, and then David knows the peace of God. It's something that you can experience. God will give you his peace. Look at Psalm 4. Look at how David says it here. He says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. See, he has this expectation. When I call out to you, you're going to listen to me. And now he talks to the men around him. Oh, men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord, Yahweh, hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. This is, this is radical what he's saying here. Hey, when you're tempted to freak out, when your enemies are closing in, when things aren't going well, and instead of turning to whatever you think is going to help you, how about this? How about you silence all of that, you go sit on your bed, and you seek the Lord. That's what he's saying. There are many who say, just like there are many today, who say, who will show us some good? There's so much evil in the world right now that a lot of people are doubting the goodness of God because of the evil in the world. And a lot of people have even decided to blame God for everything that is going on because of our sin in the world. And people say, well, where's the good coming from? Who's going to be good to us? Who's going to show us any good? And here's David's answer. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. I'll tell you where the good's going to come from when when his face turns towards me, when he listens to me. You, and then verse 7 is an amazing statement. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. He's talking about harvest time. He's talking about Super Bowl Sunday right here. Everybody's got more than they need. It's party time. All my friends are around. I'm celebrating. I'm saying life is good. I'm thinking everything is great. David's saying, yeah, because I know God, because his face is upon me, Because I have his peace, I have more joy in my heart than you can have by any circumstance, by any experience, by any amount of money or blessing here with the wine and the grain. Like, based on this life, I have more joy than that because of God. Verse 8, in peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord. O Yahweh, make me dwell in safety. And is that, is that a verse that America needs to hear right now? Hey, here might be the key to a good night's sleep for some restless souls. How many people are searching for a good night's sleep? 
And they can't turn their mind off. And so they're looking, for, they're looking for medicine. They're looking for something to drink. They're looking for some kind of amusement or entertainment. What can help me go to sleep at night at the end of the day? David's saying, hey, I know. Why don't you shut all those distractions off? Turn all the notifications off. Why don't you sit there on your bed and be silent and really cry out to the Lord? And when you know that the Lord is looking to you, that's where you're going to find the peace. He's saying, I lie down and I have a good night's rest. And let me tell you why. The only reason is because God makes me dwell securely. Now, I know when I say that here and I read this verse, this poetry written by King David, a lot of people are going to act like, well, that's not real. That doesn't go along with my problems. That doesn't, you don't know the stress that I'm in. You don't know the way that I feel. Well, if you feel like you lived a more real life than King David... Do you know the story of King David? Have you read the story of his life? He was the youngest brother out of the sons of Jesse. And because he was the youngest brother, he was overlooked by all of his brothers. So he was the one who was the shepherd. He was the one who got the night shift. He was out there with the sheep all night long. And you know what sheep are at night? They're called a night snack. That's what they are, okay? Lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, okay? He went to sleep every night surrounded by night snacks for serious predators. He fought lions and he fought bears. That's the kind of environment he was going to sleep in with animals who he was maybe going to maul him in the middle of the night. Later on, after he stoned Goliath, after he killed that blasphemer and he became famous, the king of all of Israel, Saul, became jealous of David and Saul got the entire army of Israel to chase David around the country because they wanted to kill him. Think about that. And you've just got a few guys who are with you and the army of Israel led by the king has one mission. The entire army is trying to kill one man so they can all go home and have a good night's sleep. They all have swords that they're all ready to thrust through David and he is fleeing for his life he is lying down when he gets a moment in caves or he's running out into the desert to try to find some oasis in the desert a little stream in the wilderness where he could lie down for a few moments and there's guys on watch all night because the enemies are coming to kill us in the middle of the night that's the guy who's saying I lie down and I have peace even later on when David was king and he slept in a palace, he, he sinned against the Lord with Bathsheba and it messed up his family so bad and he had such turmoil within his own family, right there with his own kids. His son Absalom rose up against David and his own son stabbed him in the back and betrayed him and tried to take the kingdom from him. And David, with just a few of his people, had to flee for his life. He had to flee the capital. He had to go out into the wilderness again, once again, running for his life because his own son wants to kill him. This is the guy who's telling you he knows how to lie down and have peace. He's saying, the God gives me his peace. I lie down and I dwell securely. Point number three, your thoughts can know peace. This is the promise of God. When you cast your cares upon God because he cares for you, 
When you stop being anxious and you turn those cares into prayers and you give them up to the Lord, there is a peace that surpasses understanding that guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus like a fortress for your soul. You might want to write down under that point Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, that promises that God will keep in perfect peace. The perfect peace of God, the shalom from heaven, will be given to the person here on earth who keeps their mind, who keeps their thoughts on God, who keeps praying to God until the light of His countenance is upon them. No, God's calling us to go, but He wants us to know that He will keep us, that He will be good to us, and that even in the midst of all that we are going through, we can call out to Him in prayer. He will look at us, and He will give us His perfect peace. God wants you to be blessed. That's what He cares about you. He loves you way more than you Realize, like a father with his child, he wants to look at you so that you would know things are good. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we come before you. And God, we get so much bad news every day, all day. We see so much sin all around us. We have sin even coming from within us in our temptations. Father, I pray that this morning, right now, here today, that we could lift up our eyes and we could look to you, and we could see that you are a God who wants to bless his people. God, I pray that we would be able to acknowledge, I pray that everybody here would be willing to admit that the only reason we're sitting here breathing right now is because you are our keeper. And God, that we would, we would acknowledge that you are a good God, that you want to give good gifts to your children, and that if we do have that confidence, God, give us that faith that if your face was shining upon us like a father with his child, if you were looking down on us, we know you would want to be good to us. We know the inclinations of your heart are to bless us. God, we know that you have already proven how much you love us because you sent your son Jesus as a sacrifice to pay for us with his blood. You gave your one and only son so we could be your sons and daughters. And now we're down here doubting if you really love us or not. God, let us look upon your face and let us see your grace. God, let us call to you when we're having a hard time. God, we turn to so many things. We, we call somebody. We look at our, our phones. We watch shows. We think some kind of medication or drink is going to give us peace for our soul. God, let us sit silently on our beds. Let us ponder in our heads who you really are. Let us keep our minds on you. And Father, give us your perfect peace. Guard our hearts and minds in your son, Christ Jesus. Don't let us get anxious and worried and be afraid because we have a God who is with us and loves us and blesses us even more than we know right now. God, let us all believe that the best days that we're ever going to have are ahead of us because you're going to be with us. Let us go with faith that you will bless us and let us see that you really do love us, God. We're asking you to open our eyes to see wondrous things, and what could be more wondrous than you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.